You're listening to Ready to Real Estate, a TREB podcast. Hear stories, uncover insights, and tune into interviews on key issues that impact realtors and all of us. Join us as we discover how people, properties, and communities all come together to build the future of real estate. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ready to Real Estate. I'm your host, Jason Mercer, TREB's Chief Market Analyst. As a profession, realtors have a unique position of collaborating with a lot of other professions, whether they're developers, engineers, architects, city planners, landscapers, interior decorators. There are a lot of different professions that go into the business of homes. But probably most importantly, or certainly at the top of that list, are lawyers and interpreting real estate law. Of course, realtors want to know what's legal and and right by their clients, and, and certain scenarios might be complex and make the correct path less than clear. Lawyers help them see the way. Today's guest is Mark Wiseletter, a senior partner in Notary Public at realestatelawyers.ca LLP. For me and all of you listening in, Mark will be walking us through some potential legal scenarios in real estate and how you can keep on the right side of real estate law. Before we jump in, we should emphasize that the views of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of TREB, and the information discussed in this episode is not legal advice. You and or your client should always consult legal counsel. With that said, Mark, welcome to the show today. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thanks again. And, and I'm excited to have you here to, to chat with us about the legal side of the real estate transaction. And what I thought we could do is, is I could pose to you some, some situations, which I believe you speak to in, in some of your seminars. And, and hopefully you could tell us about what we should be mindful of. And, and the first couple of scenarios relate to disclosures and what a sellers need to tell buyers. And, and so, you know, scenario number one is a buyer found out before closing that the seller's husband passed away in a hospital and his wife sprinkled his ashes in the backyard. Should the seller have disclosed this? And what are the buyer's rights in this regard? You know, that's actually a true story. And an agent actually called me about this and said, you know, should this have been disclosed? I think my answer at the time was, was it a windy day that day (laughs) when you were sprinkling the ashes? But it leads to a broader question of what we would call psychological stigmas. For example, a murder on a property, a suicide on a property. Most people would say, boy, that's really important. It should be disclosed. But in fact, legally, psychological stigmas do not have to be disclosed. So let's sort of back up a little bit and find out what needs to be disclosed in a real estate deal. Any defect, in a house, let's call it a physical defect, broken window, stove not working, all of those things could be seen in an ordinary inspection. So a seller does not have to disclose any what I call visible defects. So what does a seller have to disclose? They have to disclose major hidden defects, let's say a foundation problem, a major flood that was not repaired, mold behind the walls, that's a health issue. These are very serious problems that will make a house, frankly, uninhabitable. But that's all that a seller needs to disclose. So this is why it's very important for buyers to do their own proper home inspection to make sure everything is okay. 
And also, when it comes to these psychological defects, one of the things we recommend is there are websites to go to, for example, uh, housecreep.com. You can actually find out if there were funny things going on. I tell people to uh, speak to neighbors, but also there's a clause that many realtors put into agreements where the seller says they do not know of any murder, suicide, et cetera. So I highly recommend those clauses if you have clients that are concerned, because then the seller has to tell the truth. So I hope that helps people understand what has to be disclosed and not disclosed during a real estate negotiation. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point because, you know, in terms of disclosure on the seller side, that that that's one thing. But obviously, as a buyer, if you're, you know, concerned about certain things and 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 whether there could be a stigma associated with a given property, then being proactive about it um, and essentially asking about it by putting, I, I guess, a provision or clause within your um, offer, um, then then that goes a long way to to ferreting out those kind of details that otherwise might not necessarily need to be disclosed uh, legally. So it, it really is an eye opener for people once they understand this. Right. No, it, 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 it's very interesting. And, and, and I think, you know, again, a lot of times when we're thinking about disclosure, we're thinking about just dealing it from the from the seller side of things. But there's certainly uh, proactive steps that uh, that can be taken. Um, I, I want to stay on the topic of disclosures uh, um, for, for now and and think more about like you had talked uh, uh, in your previous answer about, um, you know, the the you know physical uh, uh, features of the home and 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 here's a scenario um, that considers light bulbs. Uh, a seller removed all the light bulbs before closing, and as it turns out, the light bulbs were were expensive. They're LEDs, and they cost the buyer over a thousand dollars after closing to replace them. How's a scenario like this unfold, and and how would a, a buyer deal with this vis-a-vis -vis the seller? It's funny, but so many issues arise at closing which you wouldn't consider to be major legal issues. For example, sellers removing things like a chandelier that they weren't supposed to move, uh, light bulbs. Here, most sellers are allowed to remove them, but nobody knew that they would be expensive LED uh, bulbs. There's other situations, for example, where at the final visit, the house is a mess. And so the buyer is worried that it's going to be a mess on closing, even though the contract says that it's going to be in broom swept condition. So they're always calling me saying, Mark, you have to hold back money because the house is a mess. There's also the issues with keys. The, the buyer doesn't get enough keys, whether it's the fob for the condominium, whether it's a lock in the interior of the house that can't open. And so these are what you wouldn't call major issues. You right. can't refuse to close over these, but it bothers buyers. And as a listing or buyer salesperson, you want happy clients after closing. And so the secret is protect them in the offer. So if you're not sure about a chattel or a fixture, light bulbs, whatever it is, mirrors, built-in shelves or things like that, closet organizer, TV brackets, as an example, right. write everything down so there is no confusion. 
Uh, I think the funniest situation I ever had was that after closing, I found out that the buyer, the seller had taken out all of the toilets in the house. Now, I don't think anybody could expect a seller to take out a toilet from the house. Well, it turned out in this case, the seller had heard that the buyer was going to tear down the house. So he figured, well, they're not going to need any toilets. So I'll take the toilets with me. I really wasn't sure what they were going to use them for. It was, I didn't really understand whether this was backyard furniture. I, I, I just didn't understand. But uh, I remember that I said, thank you to the buyer. And they said, why? I said, oh, because now I have an answer. Whenever somebody complains about light bulbs, I have an answer. Be happy you have your toilets uh, when you close the deal. And But the answer really is get everything down in writing. Right. And when it comes to a mess in the property at closing, there's no clause that you can put in that's going to properly satisfy everybody. When you think about it, who's going to decide if a house is clean, is you going to call a maid company to come over and pay them to check? So really, it, I tell realtors, communicate with each other, send the lawyers pictures, do everything you can to settle everything by closing because you want happy clients. And clients are not happy if the lawyer says you have to take somebody to small claims court to sue for something, nobody's happy. Sure. So it's up to the realtors to work with lawyers to make sure whenever a problem does arise at closing, something's broken, it doesn't matter. Fix it for closing and everybody finishes the deal happy. Yeah, again, I don't want to sound like a, a broken record, but it, but it sounds like even when we're talking about disclosure on the on the seller's uh, side of things, I mean, it's important to, to remember that, uh, you know, there's two sides to a transaction. And, and a lot of times you have, you know, different realtors on, on, on each side of that. And so that that sort of cooperation and at the same time, proactivity on the part of the uh, on the buyer side. Uh, can go a long way to 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 avoid you know disputes about disclosure and disputes about chattels and and, and what have you down the road and it makes for a much uh, smoother closing. I I want to speak a little bit. I mean, you know, thinking about how the market has unfolded, you know, since the pandemic started over the last you know two two and a half years. Um, and 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 you know, we've seen a lot of volatility in the marketplace and a lot of. Um, you know, it's been difficult at some stages to uh, to, to properly position a home um, in the uh, in in the marketplace, and so sometimes deals don't move ahead as we think. And so I want to sort of move into agreements. And you know, let's say for this scenario that an agreement of purchase and sale has, has been terminated because the condition of the sale wasn't waived in time. But you know, at the same time, you know, there there still very well may be uh, the chance of, of of the transaction going through um, with a different structure. Um, and, and so how is it possible or is it possible to, to revive a, a terminated agreement of purchase and sale? Thank you. So as many people know, most agreements are conditional for a certain period on the buyer being able to do something, whether it's review a status certificate, whether it's get financing, whether they're doing a home inspection. And all of those conditions are pretty much written the same way, that if the buyer doesn't satisfy or waive the condition, let's say by 5 p.m. on a certain day, right. the agreement's terminated. 
That's why we say time is of the essence in a real estate agreement. There are no automatic extensions. So sometimes it may happen that let's say you're late in giving that final waiver. You don't email it until 5.30, for example. You want it to waive the condition, but on the strict rule of time, you're late. And so some people say, okay, now we have to do a mutual release. We have to give back the money. And then we have to do it all over again. Now, that doesn't just happen in two hours. Right. Still, the money is requisitioned, given back. And in my experience, when that happens, people tend to just walk away. Right. And so there is a form of amendment that a buyer and seller can sign where they literally agree legal language is to restate and novate the agreement. So those are the legal terms. And what they mean in regular English is the buyer and seller are agreeing to revive a terminated agreement. The money does not have to be paid back. And just with one amendment, you can actually correct the mistake and move on. And so there is language that I have given to do it. And so if anyone needs it, they can please contact me and I would be happy to help them do it. But the point is there is a way to save the deal without having to go through all those steps that I've just discussed. No, that's very, very interesting because you know I, I, I can imagine scenarios. I mean, it's, it's relatively high stress for, for both sides and, and you know, not a lot of people enter into multiple real estate transactions um, over the course of their uh, over their lifetime. And so I can imagine where you know there are knee jerk uh, sort of reactions uh, to things that uh, you know with a bit of a step uh, back or a bit of a deep breath, um, you know, could be could be taken care of in, in a more expeditious manner and, and, and the deal gets done, which is important for for both sides. And and speaking of deals, um, you know, a lot of times when we're thinking about home transactions in, in, in the GTA, we're talking about, you know, traditional single family homes, detached semis, townhomes and what have you. But, you know, uh, I'm thinking about how our marketplace has evolved over the last couple of decades. We're talking, you know, 25% or more of transactions in the GTA today um, are in the condo uh, segment of the market, whether we're talking about a condo apartment or a condo townhome, even condo detached. Um, exists. And there's a little bit more nuance associated with a, with a condo transaction versus a, a, a standard uh, freehold uh, a transaction. So, you know, for example, what about a situation where a condominium has been sold, you know, a number of times, and that condo is actually associated with a few different parcels, if you will, the actual unit itself, uh, but then also, let's say, some parking spots or or, 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 or some lockers. Um, you know, what happens if, if in the past, the parking space uh, for example, wasn't transferred properly. And now we're getting on to, you know, another transaction of a few years down the road. How's something like that dealt with? You know, in a condominium, it's not like when you buy a house and the parking space is in the garage. You know, yeah. you're getting your parking space. It's attached to your home. In a condominium, as you know, the parking space is underground somewhere in most cases. And it's the status certificate that will tell you which space is allocated to which unit. And that's why most, if not all, condominium agreements are conditional on a review of the status certificate. Or today, with bidding wars, 
lawyers are asked to review the status certificate before the bidding war, so the buyer can make an, uh, an offer without that condition. So in regarding parking, there are two ways that someone can actually own uh, or have use of the parking unit. One is it's owned by the unit owner, or it's owned by the condominium corporation, and the owner has what we call the exclusive use of that parking space. And what happens sometimes is a unit is listed with a parking space, but when you look at the status certificate, this, the parking space is not mentioned. Right. And the reason it's not mentioned, people assume, oh, this must be an exclusive use. So it's owned by the corporation, and then the owner has the right to use it, but it has to say this somewhere. And the clue, which I found very helpful, is to look in the declaration. So the declaration is like the constitution of the condominium. And at the end of the declaration, it should say that certain parking spaces are only to be used by owners. And in this case that you mentioned, there was no exclusive use. See, what happened was many people, you know, get confused of this, but whenever you see two condominium buildings that may be beside each other, they actually share the same underground parking garage. But sometimes during the development, some parking spaces are actually associated with the other building. So when you're selling a condominium in one building, the parking space may actually be owned, but it's in another building. And that's why it's not showing up in the status certificate. You actually need two different status certificates to sell that unit. So in the case that I found, an owner had sold the unit three times. The buyer kept using the same parking space, but they didn't own it. They just assumed it was an exclusive use. And we were able to fix this by getting the owner from 15 years ago, who still owned that parking space, to transfer it to the new buyer. But that's another example, by the way, why you need title insurance, even in a condominium. Some people say to me, what do I need title insurance for? There, there can never think, go wrong. Well, things do go wrong. And if that owner would not have agreed in this case to transfer that parking unit, the previous owner's title insurance policy should have fixed this, would have fixed this. So it's a, a lesson that you really have to do a lot of due diligence. A, when you're listing a condominium, to just check where is the parking? Is it owned? Is it exclusive use? So that there's no confusion and it doesn't affect your closing. Right, that makes a lot of sense. And again, you know, we're talking about both sides of the transactions from a, a, a listing salesperson's perspective. I mean, there's 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 certain things that you have to ask that are a little bit different uh, when you're when you're dealing with the condo scenario, where they're talking about you know parking or, or lockers and, and what the ownership situation is. 
Um, and, and to your point, I think it's a really good when you think of the large scale developments that, that we've seen where, you know, you have a podium and two or three towers associated with it that, um, you know, the parking spots are, are, are somewhere within that development, but that development is, is, is actually more than one property. And, and, and so you really got to be careful and mindful of that type of scenario. And then obviously on the, on the buyer side as well, you essentially want to be asking the same questions again um, and certainly having your legal counsel upon uh, a closing be asking those questions on, on, on your behalf, even, even doubly so. Um, and I, I want to stay on the, the, the condo side of things, or certainly it's related to the condo market, because if you think about how, you know, the, the, the condominium apartment market has unfolded over the last couple of decades, I mean, you've had members of the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board helping clients purchase, a, say, an apartment at the pre-construction stage of development. Perhaps those people's situation changes and, and they decide, well, I'm not going to live in this unit anymore. I'm going to rent it out. And so every year we also see our members, you know, listing tens of thousands of units for rent um, on, on our MLS system e each year. And so, you know, we'd be remiss not to talk a little bit about the legal side of, uh, of rental transactions. And so, you know, here's a scenario uh, where a landlord signed an offer to lease and accepted the first and last month's rent from the tenant. Uh, the landlord then heard that the tenant is a is a professional tenant, quote unquote, and, and the landlord refused to give the keys and wanted to cancel the lease. You know, can the landlord actually do this? And, and so how did this scenario unfold? Thank you for asking. Uh, you know, the this has happened to many landlords. And the, the, the real answer to this is to do proper due diligence on every tenant before you sign a lease and before you give the keys to the unit to a tenant. In the situation you've mentioned, uh, what's happened is the landlord has signed the lease. The tenant has signed the lease. The two months, the first and last month rent has been paid, but the keys have not yet been delivered. And now the landlord finds this out. And so the question is, before the keys are delivered, can the landlord just say, I'm sorry, I changed my mind. I'm not going through with it. Well, legally, the landlord has signed the contract. And so if they didn't want to go ahead with it, of course, they know they would have to give back the money. And they would still probably owe the real estate commission because the, the deal was done. Sure. But now they would also face a lawsuit of, let's say, damages from the tenant. I mean, what damages did the tenant suffer? They've left their previous place. They may have to store their furniture. They may have to find another place, which will cost them maybe more money. And so all of these things are damages that the tenant could sue the landlord. And there's no question the landlord would be responsible for those damages if they said, I changed my mind. But then on the other hand, if the landlord gives the keys to the tenant, now they're nervous every month, will this tenant pay the rent or will there be excuses? And then am I gonna have to hire paralegals to evict this tenant? And could this be a nightmare for the next year? And so if I'm advising landlords when they come to me, those are the two situations. I say, typically pick your poison because both results are not good. Right. Either 
you could get sued by this tenant and you're probably going to have to pay damages or you're going to be very nervous for the next year as to whether the tenant is going to pay. And I have to tell you, in the majority of cases, many landlords have said, I don't care. I'm going to give back the money. If they sue me, I'll figure it out. I'll settle it later. You know, but I, I need to be able to sleep at night. Right. I want to rent it to somebody I trust. So you see, whenever there's litigation, it's not good. You know, but you have to understand what all your rights are in either situation. And this is what, you know, I tell landlords. And if we could shift just a moment, as you can imagine, so many people want to sell condominiums today that have a tenant in there. Right, that's a good point. And, and, and this is a huge issue all over the GTA. And the reason is, yes, if the lease is over and the buyer is moving in, you're allowed to give the tenant 60 days notice to move. The problem is with this real estate market, the tenant cannot find another place to rent at the same price. Sure. So they're panicking and they don't want to go. And even though the board is doing evictions, they're behind. It right. could take four months to get a hearing. So now the deal has to be extended. If the deal's extended and the interest rates change, buyers may not qualify for a mortgage. So all of this becomes a real problem. And what I have tried to recommend to my sellers who, and agents who are in this situation, it's not easy because there are too many things that are happening. You know, people want tenants to vacate before the end of the school year and they've got kids in school. Like there's so many issues. So my, my feeling is, and I tell this to, to agents, go to the tenant, See if you can help them find another place to live first and negotiate an incentive that makes sense for them. It may be more than one month, but if they agree to leave without aggravation, then you're able to list, stage, sell, show, close quickly. Because, you know, during the pandemic and even now, Tenants are refusing showings, saying, sorry, I'm too afraid of COVID. Right. And so a lot of landlords say, well, they can't do that. The province has said we're out of mask mandate. So can I evict them? I said, it'll take you four months even to get a hearing. So does that help you? You want to show the place today and sell it. And so regardless to me, whether the tenant is right or wrong, about refusing a showing, it's better to just from a practical standpoint, make a deal, move them out, the tenant's happy, maybe it's a client, you move them into another place, they could be a future buyer for you, but then you can easily sell your unit to somebody else quickly where everybody's happy. And that to me, unfortunately, is the answer because I have seen some tenants even before the pandemic, dispute an eviction, delay it for over a year 
right. using every tool available. And it only costs the seller a tremendous amount of money to keep extending a deal while this is going on. So I see that as a real issue. And I've helped many sellers in that predicament to help them at least get their unit ready for sale. I think, you know, I, I think this last example where we've essentially, you know, talked about, you know, the rental side of things, but also um, how that can uh, um, uh, intertwine with, with the, 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 the purchase and sale of a property really underpins, um, you know, the importance of both sides in the transaction, um, you know, using legal counsel and, and, and at the same time, and, and, and again, at risk of being or sounding like a, a broken record, you know, being proactive. Um, because, you know, that can go a long way to, uh, you know, saving, you know, a lot of pain and, and certainly saving a lot of time uh, as you as you make your way through the, the, the transaction process. And I think, you know, we've only hit the tip of the iceberg today in terms of the, the scenarios that, that could unfold during a during a real estate transaction. But I want to thank you very much, uh, uh, Mark Wiseletter from realestatelawyers.ca LLP for joining us today and, and unpacking some of the potential uh, legal quandaries that uh, that our members and certainly their clients can can face as they move through a, a real estate transaction. So again, you know, thank you very much for for taking the time and, and, and taking part in our podcast today. Thank you, Jason. It was a pleasure for me to be with you. Great. And, and thanks to all of you for listening in. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Trev's Ready to Real Estate podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to all of you for joining us. And we'll see you next time. That's it for us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website, trev.ca. That's T-R-R-E-V.ca to find market insights and more. This has been another episode of Ready to Real Estate, and thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.